Hi, John. How's it going? Pretty good. <laughs> we're, the, the reason why you're laughing is that we're actually in the same room, and this never happens. We're not in our closets yes. with, with sleeping babies and things like that. We're actually in the same room. We're literally a few feet apart from each other, so I get to see your facial reactions to the things I say. This, it could be good. It might not be good. Yeah, this could work out. We'll, we'll find out. <laughs> We were thinking about doing a shorter episode today, focusing on a specific challenge. And that challenge is collaborating with engineers. Always comes up. It's in designer interviews, product manager interviews. It's definitely something that requires some technique. So I think it's a great question. Now you've officially worn both hats. So let's start with some idea of what you were facing when you were an engineer, what, what were some of the characteristics of the other groups and how they related to you that were helpful and not so helpful? Yeah, I think the number one thing I've realized, especially in my career going through different professions, is to not stereotype people. This idea that the engineer is this person who only cares about coding, doesn't care about the user, you know, just wants to get things done. And, you know, or, or the example designers will give where this is what I designed, this is what the engineer outputted, is just wrong. There are some people who care about some things more than others. The very first thing that comes to my mind is understand your working agreement with every engineer. Even at the same company, you'll have engineers with different styles. Something I do as a designer now is I ask the engineer the amount of detail they want. Not only does it save me time in my mock-up, so I'm not articulating every detail, but it also helps the engineer choose how much they want to be involved. So I'll ask them, hey, you know, do you want everything to be pixel perfect with the margins or, or are you cool just using the standard ones we use? And of course they should be using the standard ones, but some engineers take so much care for detail They'll know it's in my mock that something's three pixels away as opposed to four, and they'll think that was intentional. So I'll get you know a generic set of working agreements set out where, hey, if something looks weird, it's probably just a mistake. You know, you do, don't go out of your way to design it for that. Always ask me. So there's a you know generic set, but then the secondary set I always get is, what kind of detail do you want? So that's the first thing that comes to mind. How about you? I a hundred percent agree that you have to talk to individuals and understand how they're wired, what their expectations are, what their prior work experiences are like. Because anytime I hear a designer stereotype engineers, it really bothers me. Although I'm not an engineer, I've worked with so many of them and see such levels of diversity that it bothers me when someone says, well, they just want to type away or they want to do that. One thing I've noticed is that engineers often don't fully let on on first pass about how much they care about the why. And an engineer friend of mine explained it to me and said, look, if you were making cost-benefit decisions every 15 minutes and you had your head in really complex code and puzzles all day, you're not able to on-demand necessarily switch into the why does the company exist, why are we working on this feature thing. So don't necessarily assume that because someone says, yeah, 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 it looks good to me, that that means that they are completely okay with that. They might need a different space and time to express those shortcomings. And, and frankly, the same thing is with designers, I know. that they, There's a certain headspace that you're in when you're doing certain type of work, 
And as a PM, as if you swoop by at that point and say, you know, hey, so what do you think about this mission to begin with? They'll say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you do that. So I think you have to pick the right time to talk to them about what those working agreements are. And you need to often dig a little bit to see at what depth they really, really care about this stuff um, and at what level they care about. And sometimes they're more than happy for you to just take care of a certain set of things. And other engineers, they're happy to do that, but they do want to hear the thought process and they want to hear your three-dimensional chess that you're playing. They want to go through that process with you. And the only way you'll know that is if you ask about what level of the why, what level of three-dimensional chess do you want to play, it, it, what's, what's the type of information you need. Totally. And there's two things there I really liked what you said. The best way to do it is just ask them. I think so often when people work with others, whether it's an engineer or a PM, you're trying to figure out how do I discover this thing? Or, you know, sometimes you can just ask someone. Yep. And I think, you know, there are, it is sometimes hard talking to someone. And again, this is the engineer stereotype. I don't think most engineers are like this, but there are some engineers who are quieter or, you know, um, I, I will not say socially awkward because I think that's a very big stereotype. I think a lot of engineers are not that way. A lot of them, for example, are introvert, right? We did an exercise in Amplitude where we got people who identified more introvertedly to be on one side of the room. And most engineers were on the introverted side. And you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But it can make conversations tough for somebody who's super extroverted. But the reality is the engineer wants to talk to you. They want to be asked these things. And so absolutely just asking them the why and being explicit about the working agreement is 100% what I've seen work very often. The second thing I wanted to mention that you talked about is some engineers, you said, actually do want to know the why. Like, why are we building this? Why are we building it this way? And you also mentioned, well, the why can often be explaining the thought process rather than the implementation. And I've seen that absolutely 100% work. So often when I'm presenting a design, if the engineer isn't in the design review, which often they are already, I show them the other solutions I considered and sometimes I even tell them, hey, I don't know how hard this is because I know we don't have a state for this dropdown like this or whatever it may be. This is more important than that based on this feedback I heard. So I'm almost giving them some tools to think about all those trade-off decisions they're making because, you know, we're not side by side always, right? For the purposes of progress, they're making a decision without the PM in the room or myself in the room that does affect the product does affect the UX or, or even the visual style. And so by explaining how I got to my conclusion, the thought process, you know, even if they might not use the same thinking, it absolutely shows I put thought into it at the least. And at times it gives them the tools to make those trade-off decisions even better. I would call that coherence and hmm. congruence. I mean, the words are somewhat related, but one thing I've noticed about the engineers that I've worked with is that often they are masters of congruence. And so they're masters of the parts of the puzzle you're describing fitting together in the way that you express. And an example of that would be something like you say that a strategy is important. And then a minute later, you say something that's just diametrically opposed to that strategy. So whereas some people will be like, well, I, you know, I guess both things are important. Often, engineers are of the, 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 the type. I don't even want to use the word type. You notice how we're both really resistant for saying type. Sure. But let me just put it more, more case like 
the engineers that I have collaborated with mm-hmm. are often finely, finely geared and tuned towards understanding those uh, coherence or congruence things. Mm-hmm. And so they'll be the first person to say, well, you can't, those, both of those things can't be true. And so you can imagine stating something as code, like literally the product manager is saying, this is important. And then three minutes later, they're saying that's important. And the engineer is saying, wow, if I had an ordered list, there can only be one zero position in the array. And that's the first thing. And there can only be one second thing. That's the second thing. And they're going to catch you on that in two seconds. So that's, that's something that I think people need to be aware of, that they're not necessarily trying to rip apart your argument, mm-hmm. but they're they're trying to match their coherence. They're trying to see, does it tell a coherent story? One thing that people don't realize is that that's a trait that designers and engineers, people working as sort of systems thinkers and as problem solvers, professional puzzle solvers and problem solvers, essentially. Right. That's how you're geared. And so designers will come up with a different level of coherence. They'll say, well, you know, we've said... That, that the beginning of this workflow is like that and this other thing's like that and both things can't be true from a design perspective. Those two things can't be true. So I think often, the, you know, relating or working with engineers is understanding that the Venn diagrams, and if you imagine all the differences in varieties of people, there's such a huge overlap, which you shouldn't assume that there's these differences. I, I get very sensitive when I see designers, especially on Twitter, say things that seem to imply these differences. So I saw someone the other day said, well, you know, what's the role of design? They said, well, engineering is about delivery and production. Product is about decisions and go-to-market execution. And then, of course, design is about exploration and creativity and problem solving and all these things. Let me guess, this person was a designer. They were this. a designer. Right, right? of course. <laughs> yeah. So so I think all of us fall into that trap. I mean, frankly, a lot of engineers will say, well, we're these creative magicians and product is about, you know, execution and design is about just making it work, you know, something minimizing. Right. So, I, you know, I think the lesson there is notice how the language a lot minimizes other people, whether you intentionally do that or not. I asked the question on Twitter today, when you see the word product team, do you think that means the product management team, a cross-functional team or product and design? Right. And it was actually 60% cross-functional team. 20% the product management team hmm. and 20% the product and design oh, I see. together. So even the words we use, like if you're sure. an engineer and you're like, wait, I thought you said we're called a product team. And then you talked about the product team offsite. I wasn't at that offsite. Like, right. What's going on? Right. So, you totally. know, you need to be aware of your words. Yeah. I like what you said about the Venn diagram and understanding similarities and differences. The angle I like taking it from is just understanding similarities in terms of real facts or the reality of doing something as opposed to preferences or personalities like you like you say so for example uh time estimation task estimation that's as hard as an engineer as it is for a designer and that's just the reality of a situation an engineer will give an estimate and a lot of things peg on that estimate just like a designer will but sometimes you know a hard problem takes two hours sometimes a hard problem takes two days it's hard to say And so you can empathize with people in terms of what similarities and differences you have, as long as you're not including things that have an inherent bias into it. I'll give you another example, something that designers don't have to feel, right, that I felt as an engineer. At certain companies, especially web-based companies, you know, I, I had this experience when I was at Amazon, the code you ship 
you have to also maintain, especially when you're on, um, especially when you're on call. And so unless you've gotten a call at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. at night, as a designer, it's hard to fully empathize the stress you have of writing code because it works in two ways, right? When you're on call, you're on call for the whole team. I've heard some engineers say they feel worse if your code wakes up somebody at 3 a.m. than, you know, if it was waking yourself up when you were on call. That's a lot of pressure to write something in a way that's fault tolerant like that. Whereas, you know, if we make a bad design, of course we care about our users, but we're not going to wake up at 2 a.m. It's not as real or immediate for us. Yeah, you unless know, you've, you know, launched a nuclear missile because sure. of a North Korean. <laughs> sure, like, sure. Yeah, I mean, right. Yeah, there's, the, there's, there are um, exceptions. Yeah, but, you know, there are things for everybody's business that I think if you try to, you know, genuinely find similarities and differences, but not from a personality point of view, but instead from the reality of things that person has to deal with, it really helps you, you know, empathize with them. Yeah, I think that hit home for me one time when I was talking to an engineer that I was working with. And they said something like, you know, I've been trying for 18 hours over the last three days to figure this out. You know, I have had to, uh, you know, contact the user group for this open source thing. Then I had to patch the open source thing for them. Right. Then I've had to use it. And then still things didn't work. And I think that that level of... Um, Focus. I, the, the funny story is that I worked with an engineer and the, the whole thing was if you had your headphones on, that meant you can't bother them. And so what he did is he put a little rear view mirror on his monitor. And so we had a game where he would see me coming to, to like the tap on the shoulder and I could see him just kind of putting his headphones on. And, and then I really, you know, at that point, and it's like, wow, that's completely breaking the flow. But of course, I know a designer is going to hear this and be like, you just don't understand how hard the puzzles are we solve. Right. And again, that's not the point we're making. There are completely different, you know, we all have to have that empathy for those things. There are at times very real differences. And then there's right. a lot of overlap into doing that. And I mean, yeah, it sounds like we're doing like interview training or bias training on this <laughs> podcast. But I think a lot of it, a lot of it is that. I mean, the standard one, a CTO once said to me, um, or like a VP of engineering once said, well, you know, John, engineers, they just want to be left alone and just write code. Such and this a- was this was like an engineering leader. And I couldn't believe that. So th- so another thing to think about, too, is that how we have our own stereotypes of our own crew. Like designers say that, you know, like, oh, designers going to do that. And engineers are saying that. But so it, it makes it very, very difficult. I think that one thing practically for Uh, collaborating with engineers is to spend some time to understand how they decompose problems because that can help you time out and plan when the best time for you to work with them is because often you kind of you're really excited to get going and you want to collaborate and for a lot of engineering puzzles it starts with a really sort of an exploration that doesn't even look like working and which designers can relate to, right? Sure, it's like sitting yeah. at your desk thinking. Right. And so once you understand that as a designer, you're kind of like, oh, you know, I bet Mary, that engineer, is is also doing the same thing that I do. Like, it, right. it, like just because she's not tapping on the keyboard means she doesn't have anything to do and it's time to go over and pair with her. It's like Mary is wrapping her head around this new problem. And in a day or two, we're going to be in a situation where we can partner together. Totally. And like you said, having that empathy, but just understanding 
someone's day to day. Like if you yeah. followed them around or if you saw what their schedule is like, it's hard to look at an engineer's calendar at times because there's these blocks of work time. It's not as many meetings that you might be in with maybe a product manager. But if you just talk to them and you understand their day to day, like let me give you an example. If you're a designer having a design review, right? Most people do that in person, right? I know of some async ways to do it. Imagine somebody coming into that meeting while you're giving a design review and tapping you on the shoulder and asking you one question. It would be rude to the entire meeting. Well, engineers, they have design reviews, but in the form of code reviews on GitHub. So an engineer might be in an intense code review of somebody you know, breaking apart their work, but to you, they're just sitting at their desk and you might totally break you know, their flow. And you, know, you can relate to that from breaking your flow, but you might not be able to relate to fully understanding the mood or the feeling they're in that you would understand if you were in a design review. So yeah. Really just understanding those differences. You know, I'll share one last story uh, to really emphasize with this. You know, back again when I was at Amazon, we had, you know, our team had different on-call. Um, we also had, you know, a few friends of mine, a soccer team together. Um, it was just kind of this indoor soccer league. You know, for whatever reason, one week, two star players on the team who are on the same team in Amazon were both on call. So someone was primary, someone was secondary. Now, if primary doesn't answer within, I think, something like three or five minutes, then the secondary gets a call. If the secondary doesn't answer, then it goes to the VP or the manager, and that's really bad because already 15 minutes has passed. And for a company like Amazon, that could be literally tens of millions of dollars. So we had a soccer game, and it really helped me understand you know, what they go through because they agreed with one another. They both had their laptops open mm-hmm. on the bench because you don't know if you'll be called, right? You yeah. can't just stop your life. Um, you keep living it. And so they made an agreement that neither of them would be on the pitch at the same time. So we had to work our changes in a way, even if they were free, that, hey, we can't have both of them on the pitch because if they get a call, you know, they'd have to run off the pitch. And now some people might think, oh, that's crazy and that work ethic's not good. But, you know, they chose this life and they made it work. But it really made me realize, you know, the things they go through. Yep. I think the thing I would end with, too, is this all is about explaining your work as well. So what I found is that maybe a designer has a lot of empathy and is you know, asking the engineer about their work, but never actually describes to the engineer what design work looks like. Right. You know, you're, and, and I feel there's a little bit of bias there. I think what they're thinking is, I've got a lot of empathy. I'm going to empathize with you, engineer, but, but you won't exactly be able to empathize with my story. And it's like, well, no, they can empathize right. with your story. There's, a, there's this whole idea of professional culture clash. And... I think that the, the first thing you need to realize about working these things is anytime you're working, you need, to, you need to be able to find a way to push through that professional culture clash. And it doesn't matter whether it's doctors and nurses or lawyers or whatever. We have some customers actually, they're in ed tech. Mm-hmm. And one of the big challenges they mention is that they've got, on, they've got educators on staff to help with education design and things. And then they've got tech, which they would say the engineers. And then they've got designers, but the designers are not the learning designers. They're, you know, they don't even know how to describe them. They're like, oh, I think they're the visual designers. Healthcare as well. You've got clinicians and then you've got big data experts. And I'm talking about a digital product, right? You've got clinicians and healthcare things. You've got data informatics people and you've got lawyers and you've got different things. All of those environments create a lot of professional culture clash. So you have to think, you, you have to 
acknowledge that this will be an issue a lot of times. And you might go into a new organization and there's an even different culture for engineering culture there. So I think just acknowledging it first that it's a sign that you've got really bright people who are good at what they do. And it's not a uh, stereotype of, you know, engineers are automatons and robots and not. It's like you're it's as much about you and your particular professional tweakings as it is about that thing. And I think that actually relates to what you said is that professional culture clash absolutely exists. So one way to kind of get out of the stereotype and bias mindset is to think kind of what you were saying, that this is a professional culture clash situation about how people work and how craftsmen are doing their work versus a clash of different types. So, you you know, and that's a different, one is a clash of personalities. Now, if you think about it like that, that's kind of a dangerous way to think, and you're going to bring a lot with you. But if you think of it as like a clash of professions, you're acknowledging the other people are professionals that you're working with. So it's a little, to get out of this bias trap, um, stereotyping trap. Yeah, and that frame of reference is super important. And the other aspect of that is knowing that you can make it work. Yeah. Right? If you have the stereotype that I'll never see eye to eye, well, hey, guess what? You're going to fulfill that own, your own prophecy. Yeah. Um, so you have to believe it'll work and you have to know that it requires some actual work to get it there. Yeah. So anyways, I, I think this was a good topic. We're going to try to keep this episode a bit shorter. Yeah. Um, as always, you know, reach out to us on Twitter, leave reviews on iTunes, but what you think of this episode and in general, and, and we'd love to hear what you think. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Take care. Bye.